Well, congratulations. You made it here this morning. I want you to know that you are an overcomer for doing so. For there is, are many forces working against us, against you, to getting here. As is clear of those who are not here. I hope that you will see this day just how very loved you are by the God of all creation as we unpack this love story of Holy Week. Over these past five weeks of Lent, we have been focusing on loving God with all our, your heart, mind, and soul, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We've been given little steps that we could take each week to move towards this greater love. I hope in the process you've experienced a bit of heart transformation. Today's gospel and the sheer drama of Palm Sunday show us in greater depth just how far God will go to love us. In fact, he puts his whole self in, all in, for all of us. I find it interesting that Lent began with our Ash Wednesday services on Valentine's Day. A coincidence? Maybe. But I think not. I think that God was underscoring his great love for all of humanity. Maybe so far as to invite us to be his forever valentine. For he loves us for all of eternity. Now there's nothing sexy about the words we hear on Ash Wednesday, from dust you come and to dust you shall return. And yet, it sets the record straight, in case we've forgotten, that we are not God, but that we are mere mortals in need of a God who will save us. The great news is that God is not some figment of our imagination or otherworldly alien, but that in Christ we actually have a vision of who God is. I like to think that God has brought a long-awaited sign of hope into the world through Christ Jesus. It wasn't what the world expected, and in some cases, not what the world thought he should be or wanted or even needed. We began our service today with the Liturgy of the Palms where we join in with the crowds from over 2,000 years ago, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which in fact is a one-word prayer that means, God save us, God save us. The irony is that the streets were lined that day with powerful soldiers as Jesus traveled into Jerusalem oblivious to the insurrection he was starting. 
They were unaware of the sign of hope to the Jews because Jesus came riding in on the humblest of beasts, on a donkey. Our text calls it a colt. But it was a humble beast. And so there, right under their noses, Jesus comes, not in power, not in a chariot, but in humility on the back of the beast of burden. He comes in vulnerability and love, not with an army or chariots, but a crowd of wounded who have been made whole from his healing prayers in the outer regions. No doubt this would seem insignificant and even be lost on such a power center at the crossroads of the world that Jerusalem was and is. But the religious leaders sense the threat that he and his love are to their way of life, to the structures that they had built up in the very name of God, and they wanted him dead. They were jealous, it says. They would rather kill him than give up their power and their position and all that they have built for themselves. Religion has become their God. And as such, they have him arrested on trumped-up charges, and they enrage the crowd to call for his death in place of a known murderer and insurrectionist Barabbas. They want blood, and they seem to prefer innocent blood. So let us just pause for a moment, freeze frame, if you will, this transaction, this transaction happening right there with Pilate and the crowd and the religious leaders, lest we miss the significance of the exchange. Do you hear it? Jesus trades places with a murderer who is actually guilty. You know the scripture that says he takes on the sin of the world. Well, it is for one reason and one reason only, for love. He's on a mission to reconnect God and all of humanity once and for all. And he does this in all humility as he remains silent to the charges that he is the king of the Jews. He does not defend or argue. His only response to Pilate's questioning it, questioning of, are you the king of the Jews, is to say, you say so. So striking is his lack of response that Pilate is astonished. Doesn't take. I would imagine it takes a lot to astonish Pilate. So in the world's eyes and that of the power brokers, it looks weak and foolish. But Jesus knows his father's plan, his father's plan to restore all of humanity back to the father. He knows the people will require a blood sacrifice like the innocent lambs given at a Passover feast. Just as the lambs for sacrifice at a Passover feast are wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a feeding trough before they are offered up on the altar, Jesus, Lamb of the God of all creation, 
came into this world and was wrapped in bands of cloth and put in a feeding trough in a manger. To this day, to this week, to becoming the ultimate sacrifice for all time, to take away the sins of the world. In his silence to his accusers is an unspoken yes. Yes to God's will. It is a defiant act to hope, to say yes and surrender to God. Today's story, I'd say, is uncomfortable because we find ourselves caught up with the crowd first saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, but it didn't take long to join in on the crucify him, crucify him. It is an act of courage to dare to be vulnerable and admit more often than not that we are with the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. Because in our human nature, we want our way, we want our comforts, and sometimes we even want to play God. This is our human nature. This is what sin would have us do. This is what the world would have us do. Think of Burger King. Have it your way. It's all around us. Have it your way. Be king for a day. As Bishop Stephen Miller points out in our Lenten devotion for Palm Sunday, the fact is that It is only when we admit to ourselves that we are capable of such hatred that there is room for growth and improvement in our love of God and neighbor and even ourselves. In admitting, we can then come to the place of asking God for the grace to turn our hearts back to God and receive his love and his help to love him more deeply and fully. To love God more fully and completely requires asking for help and allowing him to give us that help. The truth is we can't love like God on our own because we are not God. We need his help. We need his strength, and he gives it to us as we admit our need for him to love through us. We need God's grace to believe, as the centurion at the cross said, truly this was the Son of God, and thereby admit our need for his love. When we say yes to finally, in the face of our doubts and fears, Jesus, as sign of hope for the world, defiantly opposes the powers that oppress God's people, through his humility, vulnerability, and love, as he empties himself in love to the very end. It is this this form of self-emptying love, which is known as kenosis, that is what Paul is talking about when he writes to the church of Philippi and to us. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count 
equally with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus' silence rebuffs the taunts of Satan and the voices of the religious leaders on his way to the cross when they say he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. This echoes the temptation by Satan and other Gospels of Jesus when he's in the desert after his baptism. When Satan says to him, if you are the Son of God, save yourself. Isn't this Satan's temptation to us? That we try to save ourselves when only God can do this? Only God will do this. Only God did do this through Jesus' suffering crucifixion on a cross dying the death of a criminal among criminals so that all the world might be saved in his saving embrace from the hardwood of that cross on Calvary. When he yields his last breath, it is finished. The lights of the world have gone out, and the curtain in the tabernacle is torn, and love is let loose on the world. It might seem that it is over, And all is lost, but in the silence from Good Friday to Easter morn, Jesus descends to hell and breaks the very gates of hell wide open, defeating death and our separation from God for all time. As the Living Translation says in Romans 8, 35-39, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us to the end. It goes on to say, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the good news is love wins. Going to the very end of himself for the love of you and me and the whole world. There is no greater love than one give their life for another. That is Jesus' love given humbly and vulnerably for murders in every sort and condition, including you and I. So I invite you this week 
to ask God, keeping in mind Jesus' example of self-emptying, where you might be being called to be emptied, that God might fill you more with his love, a love that fills all your heart, soul, and mind. So remember one thing. This love, this love is not something for you to possess, but it is to be given to and for others, as Jesus did throughout his life, that led him to love's fulfillment on the cross. It is in this way that you too can be a sign of hope in the world through love's embrace.